0: notice uh we're going to be talking about a dog and bruce asked me if we were going to talk about dog the bounty hunter that's not the dog we're going to talk about um my kids when talking about dogs said that i quit showing pictures of them when i'd go to the airport and i'd show pictures of my dog our dogs and um I said, well, I show them because they don't talk back. If you've looked at the lesson, the lesson's on page 18. When you look at Deuteronomy 1, 35 and 36, it says, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give them to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephthah, He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he did what? He wholly followed the Lord. When you look at Numbers 32 and verse 12, it says, For they have wholly followed the Lord, talking about Joshua and Caleb. And when you look at Joshua 14 and 8, it says, But I wholly followed The Lord my God. When you see the word holy, it's not the word H O L Y, it's W H O L L Y. And what does that mean? Completely, all. Did I hear something else? Fully. So, and I hadn't noticed this before when, when you've studied the spies. But did you notice what the Lord is saying here? It's not only to Caleb, but his influence, it says, and to his children, isn't it? So it was a family that here is passing down to Caleb, well, in Joshua, that here is a survival of these two men compared to the other spies. When you think of this of wholly following the Lord, we need to be thinking about ourselves. Are we committed or are we as committed as Caleb is? And we're going to talk about different attributes as we go on. Are we fully? Are we complete in the Lord? Uh, Those are things we have to ask ourselves. I put on here that it... An easy way to remember it just, just means to fo- to follow fully. When you when I talk about the dog, when you look at the theological workbook of the Old Testament, it defines Caleb as a dog. In some places, it even says um, a rabid dog or one of the dogs like that. What are the attributes of a dog that would fit Caleb? Those that are dog people. Do what? Tenacious, loyal? That was my first one. You get the gold star. Anything else? Dedicated. Dedicated. You know when you when you look at a man and you think the definitions a dog in the New Testament, who were considered dogs? Who? Non-Jews, but particularly what group of people? Samaritans. So it was a, a form of ridicule, wasn't it, to call them a dog, that they're almost useless because they're not Jewish, aren't they? But here we see a person that's courageous, which y'all alluded to, Faithful. Our dogs are faithful. They're fiercely protective. And when you think of that with Caleb, he, he protected what he felt was right, didn't he? When he said, we can go take this land. Let's go now. Let's go. It's almost that you can see it across the parking lot. Let's do it now. And there's, there's some endurance about a dog, isn't it? Dog plays hard, goes and gets a drink of water, and what happens? They're ready to go again, aren't they? As we look at Caleb tonight, let's think about ourselves under these conditions. And the question is, how long do we follow the Lord? Is there a certain number of years? Is there a certain number of hours? How long do we follow? All the way. way. That means all of our life, doesn't it? When you look at this, it's in Joshua 14.10, it says, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he has said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I, this day, I'm 20 years old. Is that what it says? I'm 85 years old. So 40 years in the wilderness, right? Five years on the conquest. That doesn't add up to 85 though, does it? It says, as he said, these 45 years, how old was, when he, was he when he started? It says he was 40 years old, so he's 85. I'm not doing the math, Misty, I promise. She's in here. But here's a a man that has seen what God can do for the people, crossed the Red Sea, saw Sinai, and he's been with them through the conquest five years or so, and now it's his turn. And when we see this, we sometimes think, of course, these men lived a lot longer. I don't know if I could go to war at 85 years old. I wouldn't do it right now, being 32. But here here he says some real interesting things. He says, I am as strong as that day that Moses sent me out. He's saying as he approaches it, that God has taken care of him and his strength has not left him. His strength is still through the Lord. He says, now is my strength for war going and coming. Whether I need to go out and do things, come back. And we all see and we've heard lessons. It says, give me my mountain. And the mountain that he wanted was exactly the area or what they called the district back then of the giants, the Anakim or Anak and the the other ones. So what did he ask for? Did he say, I'm I'm 85, (laughs) give me the side over here that I don't have to worry about cutting the yard or whatever? He asked for some troubled areas, didn't he? He wasn't trying to back away and and not be involved. He was going right into the middle of it. Any questions about that? He also said in here that it may be that the Lord will be with me. He was in such a position knowing that the Lord had been with the people all through, all through these different things, the Lord had fed him, meat, manna. So he knew that he could depend on the Lord. And you know what's really interesting? He's telling you and I that age is not a factor, isn't he? He's saying to you and I that we need to look at each other and say, what can I do for the Lord? We've got a lot of people in this congregation that are vintage like me that do a lot of work. And I'll tell you, even more so, those that are are elderly, just the encouragement of them being here, what do we get out of that? We get to see people that have gone through problems, have seen problems, their wisdom is there. Women can teach the younger women. Older men can teach the the younger men. So there is not an age factor with the Lord, is there? The Lord doesn't say there's a certain time factor and you can kind of retire. Now, priests could retire at 50, couldn't they? But the Lord never put a stipulation on you and I as a Christian. When you think of that and think about what he said, you've got to really give him credit for his courage. And when we look in in the New Testament, particularly at Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When we think about being strong in the Lord, what else do you think of that's in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, don't you? Well, besides courage, I, I call it dedication. That here he was dedicated. And in Ruth, Boaz makes a comment. He says, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have what? Come for refuge. Ruth had come to the Lord for refuge. Caleb looked at the Lord for refuge. Well, at the same time, he was not too old for a mountain and for giants, was he? What do I mean by that? He knew God, that's, that's the point, isn't it, less than over with. It doesn't matter who I am, but God can handle it. And he knew it when he went out with the 12 spies, right? He knew that God was there because God had told him on several occasions. We looked at the verses, go and spy the land, what? That I have given you. So it's not a, it's not a roll of dice and hope something's going to work. When you look at this map, I've got Hebron uh, circled with what um, Caleb wanted. You can tell that it's a little bit southwest of Jerusalem. And here the conquest had gone up and taken these lands and taken uh, these people. And here was Caleb that says, I want the mountain. I want this Hebron district. And when you look about at it, it's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. When we, we talked about it earlier, when you look at the total picture uh, that's happening there, they called most of those people, even though they, they talk about seven tribes, they called them mostly Canaanites. But also, there was Anakim. In the, in the area, the giants. Abraham had been there in Hebron. He had lived there. Isaac and Jacob, I'm not going to read all these verses, David's uh, royal residence was there as well as Absalom. So this isn't a place that is unknown, is it? It's well known by people we recognize. Sarah was buried there. In Joshua chapter 10 and 36 and 37, it tells us that Joshua took it and now, for some reason, there's some left in some neighboring areas from the best we can tell, and Caleb's getting ready to retake it, isn't he? Well, when you look at this, you say, why would he want that since he's that old? Because he depended on the Lord, didn't he? When you see that, he made a choice of this land that wasn't safe and secure. You didn't have helicopters and battleships surrounding it that it was protected. You didn't have special armament that could be helped with what he did. He chose the land and says, that's what I want. And he was given that land. And he chose giants. When we think about that, in all of our lives, there's giants, aren't there? And we're going to face giants. I don't mean Shack O'Neill or Nine Foot Goliath. What are some of the giants we're going to face as Christians that you would consider? Hardships, struggles what was it? Sickness. So our health is part of it. Temptation. Overall sin, isn't it? Even addictions, right, that can happen, whatever happens with us as people. And, and when we think of the fact that these giants are out there we talked earlier about baptism and we said what baptism wouldn't do it's not going to take away the temptation is it not going to take away the hardships is it but we can depend on who we can depend on god can't we when we face giants it's like david did and and david had public and private giants. What do I mean by that? You ever heard that before? He had personal demons. What was the public one? People wanted to kill him and Goliath, right? What else? King Saul wanted to kill him. He had a lot of giants out there, didn't he? When you look at these giants, the public giant was Goliath, wasn't it? Here he is, a young man, a shepherd. He comes out there to bring his brothers and stuff some food or whatever. What does he tell them? He says, let's just go get this guy. Well, you're just a shepherd. He also had another giant that was private and that was Bathsheba wasn't it what kind of giant was that lust whatever and he says to Goliath you came to me with a sword with a spear and a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied so when he did this, he's looking at a guy that's pretty big, isn't he? A guy in full armor that David probably couldn't lift because he tried on armor and he had never tested it, had he? When we see this, how did he defeat this giant? Did what? God. God. He always comes back to God, doesn't it? Here he is, a young man, a shepherd, and he's already told them the lion and the bear came and messed with the sheep, and what did he do? I went and took care of it, did I? And he's not afraid to do it. And how does he kill this man? Well, God did help him, but... What was it? Stone. How many stones? Was it 10? (laughs) One? How many did he pick up? Five? You know, when you think of you and I, how are we going to battle these giants? Because I'm not good with slingshot. I think if I did that, I'd probably hit myself in the head. If you compare those five stones to the word of God, what do you have? You have a man here, David, that went to a brook and he picked up the five stones, right? Did you ever think that those stones were available for all those men that were watching Goliath every day that he came out? So they were available, weren't they? When you look at the word of God, isn't it available for everybody now? I mean, you can go online, you can probably get free Bibles over the internet, can't you? Or get one in the hotel that's a Gideon Bible. So we're in the same boat, aren't we? That we have access to the word of God, just like he went and got those stones. Those stones... Were there, anybody could go and get them. Everybody agree? Well, he goes and picks up those stones and he puts them in his pouch, doesn't he? Those stones are useless until they're picked up. Now, nature people will get after me and say, well, it keeps the ground from, you know, going apart and falling apart. That's true. But for what he did, they were useless until he picked them up, weren't they? When we look at ourselves and we put the Bible on the shelf, what is it? It's a book with paper, isn't it? It's useless until I go over and do what? Pick it up and read it. Because the Lord says many times, have you not read? Well... When you look at the Word of God, compare it to these stones, if it's a useless situation, it it depends on you and I to pick up our Bibles and use it, it. That's how he defeated his giant. Well, the other part of the stones, he picks them up and he knows how to use a sling. I don't. But those stones are powerful in the right hands, aren't they? all he needed was one all we need is what one don't we and there's power here in this isn't it if you look at ephesians 6 and 17 ephesians 6:17 i had already said something about putting on the whole armor of god In 6.17, it tells us about our only offensive weapon when we put on this armor. And what is that? It's a sword, isn't it? In verse 17 of Ephesians 6, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God. That's the only offensive part you and I have, isn't it? This is our only offensive use, isn't it? When you think about that, we need to take the Bible serious, just like he took the stone serious. When you go a little farther in the New Testament, and you know where I'm going, I'm going to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 It says for the word of God is living, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul, spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, which we're going to talk about his heart in a minute. So here we're looking at something that's living, that's powerful and that we can use, can't we? So how can we take our giants by utilizing our stones right by utilizing the bible sometimes we don't think about that sometimes we put the book up but that's not what happened here he even had four extra stones didn't he any questions about this or comments yes sir He's bringing a mic. Uh, Yeah, Goliath was defeated by his faith in
1: God, um, but by the same measurement, you could say that the sin with Bathsheba defeated him because he left his faith in God on the show. Good point.
0: That's when you come to the second part in that private, doesn't it? He, he, He got his heart away from God, didn't he? You know, I've, I've heard lessons, going to what Mitch says, about little things. If you remember, there was a man named Hur, H-U-R. As long as he held up the hands, the Israelites won, didn't he? Just a little thing that he did. Well, on the negative part, David stayed back, didn't he? And then as Mitch said, what happened? He and Bathsheba or he took over from that. Just a little thing, staying back. Any other comments so far? Well, one part of this, when we we think about it, and most of you would have talked about it before, is the fact that fully with Caleb also means his heart, doesn't it? I don't mean the pumper here. What do I mean? His whole being, his mind, every part of him that he's, he's totally committed. When you look at this verse out of Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, it says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? And it says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you're going to get there to the Lord, you got to have a pure heart, don't you, and clean hands. If you're going to stand before the Lord, as it says here, what do you have to have? It doesn't stop, does it? you got to have the clean hands and the pure heart. So it's a total commitment, and it's a commitment that doesn't change, and age is not a factor. When you look, this is a quote from Paul Earnhardt in his book called The Invitation to a Spiritual Revolution. He wrote this book basically about the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, The true vision of God will not be granted to the shrewd and calculating who play dishonest games or to the double-minded who can never quite put both feet in the kingdom, but to those who are absolutely honest and single of what heart, Toward who? God. There is a total commitment that says we've got to be committed to God. And Caleb shows us that, doesn't he? If you turn to Matthew 22 and verse 34, Matthew 22... And verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard, this is verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of him, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. What did... The lawyer asked him. He didn't say, what are you doing this for? Why are you here? He's saying, which is the greatest commandment? And in verse 36 in the New King James, it says, he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And what does Jesus say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And when he says this, he says in verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when he says this to him, He says, your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's kind of a total picture, isn't it? That kind of says that we've got to be totally committed to the Lord, doesn't it? It's called devotion. It's called we can't let the world distract us, right? Because when the Lord or when the Lord tells you this or, or we're told to, to do this, distractions come up, don't they? Caleb didn't have distractions. While you're still in the New Testament, look at James 4 and verse 4. James 4 and verse 4. In James 4 and verse 4, I'll start in verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers, this is verse 4, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. So... If we understand these commandments, we can't let this distraction. Caleb didn't let this distraction uh, hinder him. If you're still in James, if you just scoot over a few pages to 1 John 2. 1 John 2 and verse 15. We're familiar with these verses, we're familiar on, on how they work for us, and it says, do not love, this is verse 15, 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, what? Abides, how long? Forever. There's no time limit. When we think of this and we understand that God's in charge, we've got to have our heart committed, don't we? Well, another part of this, as we go farther, is... Fully means keeping our eyes on the Lord. Does it mean that we can really see Him? What does it mean? It means that the Lord should be in front of us all the time, shouldn't it? We should be strong in the Lord. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. This is the new King James. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne. If you notice, what does it say that we should do? Who should we look for? We should look... For Jesus, shouldn't we? I think a lot of times that when we saw Caleb, Caleb was looking at God, wasn't he? He was saying, I've always got God with me. I've always got him on my side. He's fighting with me. And with my faith, I should be able to depend on that, shouldn't I? Just like you and I. When you take this a little farther... If you look at Psalm twenty five fifteen, Psalm twenty five fifteen, when you um, get to fifteen, let me read uh, from verse twelve through fifteen of Psalm twenty five. It says, who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. And it says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Basically saying he will take care of me. Staying in Psalms, if you go to 123, a little farther in, Psalm 123, verses 1 and 2, Psalm 123, 1 and 2, unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters as the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until what? Until His mercy is where? On you and I. So just as Caleb kept his eyes on the Lord, we have to do the same thing, don't we? A little bit farther, Psalm 141. Psalm 141 And verse 8, it says, But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, in you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Verse 9, Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and for the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall in their own nets while I escape safely. Well, these all sound good, don't they? But sometimes our glasses are dirty or we're out of focus, aren't we? Or we need a new prescription. And when we lack this focus, what happens? When we fail to focus on the Lord, what happens? Just like in Hebrews, we start drifting, don't we? And sometimes we don't know it because if you're in a boat and you're drifting... Most of the time, people don't know it, do they? Because it's gradual. And it happens gradually. And it happens gradually in a congregation. We talked about this passage last time. In Matthew 14, 30, remember, we talked about Peter was in the boat, and he asked the Lord, he said, let me come to you or, you know, bid me to come. And remember what we said, he lacked faith, didn't he? Well, there's another part of that. He didn't keep his eye on the Lord, did he? When he saw that the wind was boisterous, what did he do? Took his eyes off the Lord, didn't he? You know, isn't it interesting that when you look at Peter and you look at his life, and you think about him, that in Luke, toward the end of the chapters, remember that Christ said to him, basically, to Peter, what's he going to do? He's going to deny me, right? And Peter says, no, no, no. I'll go with you. Even if it means death, right? Prison or death. And you know, after he denied him, how many times? Three. I think I got that math right for a change. What happened? You could hear the cock crow, couldn't you? But there's a verse in there that says when that happened, that the Lord looked at Peter. It's different than our focus. It's the Lord focusing on us, isn't it? Can you imagine if you were in that crowd and you had denied the Lord that you had been with, been as impetuous as you were, as Peter was, and he's looking through that crowd, kind of like back there in the foyer, and the Lord turns and looks at him. What would you feel like? a different feeling isn't it well that's what happened to Peter any questions about this any questions about any of what we've gone over because I'm going to let you through early anything at all anybody wants to add yes sir
1: wait a minute he'll bring you the mic Peter went through what he did right here and he he understood what it was to lose focus. Then he comes back in his later life in 2 Peter chapter 1 and he reminds us how to not lose focus. He says, if all these things are yours, uh, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was purged from his old sins. And that can happen to us. Things can happen in our life. I mean, it could be a matter of days or weeks. We could totally lose sight of how far we've drifted away from God. But if we constantly are reading and studying and hearing the word and gathering together with our brethren and being encouraged, that can help keep us focused. That's, that's really the whole point of all of this is to help keep us focused and to not fall like Peter did.
0: A great, great point out of Peter you know, I always come to the positive side in Acts 2, who is the one that's preaching? Who's the one that stood up and said, you killed, you killed the Christ? Exactly where you're coming from, a great point that here, he, we know he wept after that with Jesus, but we see him standing up and standing up to a crowd and saying, you guys killed him. I'm paraphrasing. And went through it and said, eventually, who are we supposed to honor? Who are we supposed to hold important? You or who? God. And just like Sam read, it was a focus thing that his focus had to change. And he wrote two books, didn't he? (laughs) To help us out. Anybody else? Roger over here. You know, Peter was willing to die for the Lord because when Malchus came into the garden, he took that sword and cut his ear off. That's a death penalty f- offense right there. You know, that's another good point. Um, Peter didn't give up his sword, did he? <laughs> and I think um, if you read some of the historical things, whether whether we know it's true or not, but Peter... Asked to be crucified, and guess how he asked to be crucified? According to some of the ancient fathers that that knew about him. He was going to be crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified as the Lord. So here he goes through different changes. Well, it's like Sam says, he comes back and tells us we need to keep focus. Every one of us are like the children of Israel. We have those down times, don't we? And then we come back up like, like we did with Leland with the judges. And how we handle that and how we pursue that through his word lends to us being those kind of Christians that will survive, won't we? And it's, Sam made a good point because we're here with Christians we're fellowshipping with Christians. We're fellowshipping with a family. And what is the goal? Heaven, isn't it? From all of us. So it's not just one person fighting the battle. And Caleb felt like he and Joshua were the only ones. Any other comments? Well, I thought, I'd, okay, go ahead, John. about. Peter, when he was walking on the water, he, he uh, literally physically took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the waves. But more importantly, mentally, spiritually, he took his mind off the power of the Lord and focused on the power of the storm. And that was the mistake. He thought about David and Goliath. He physically looked at Goliath to sling that stone, but his mind was still on the power of the Lord. He forgot to depend on the Lord when he was walking on water and started sinking slowly. Well, I thought I was going to let you out early, but we didn't do it. Thank you all for your comments and for listening.